0: Hey everybody, you're listening to Main Menu for the 27th of October 2017. I am your co-host Jason Castonguay. This week we're going to continue in our Braille series and talk to a couple of folks from the American Printing House for the Blind. We'll get some background and talk about a very exciting development with regards to Braille transcription. Personally, I'm pretty excited about this, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. This is your co-host, Jason Castingway, speaking, and with me are two guests from the American Printing House for the Blind, Larry Scootcon. How are you, Larry?
2: Fantastic. How about you?
0: I'm doing well, thanks. And Keith Creasy, how are you?
1: Great. Glad to be here.
0: All oh, right. Well, I know there's something that I think we're all eager to get talking about, which is very exciting personally for me, and that is called Braille Blaster.
2: Well, BrailleBlaster is, um, as you know, is a uh, transcription and translation software package for Braille. And um, APH decided to embark on this ambitious project because we see a lot of students that are not getting their textbooks on the first day of class. Mm. We needed to find a way to... Uh, make it faster for a professional transcriber to format and make these textbooks available. And as you probably know from your time in school, Jason, these books can be complex, especially when you get into math and science.
0: Oh, yes. And I didn't always have uh, (laughs) my Braille available right away either, for sure.
2: I'll bet you wish you were a student now, then. <laughs> I do. There are
0: so many advancements. Absolutely.
1: One of the big advancements that
2: has really helped
1: to make Braille Blaster possible is the introduction of richly marked up publisher files and also... Uh, a project that was started, it was actually started when, 2004, Larry? Um, Somewhere
2: back in there.
1: And when the publishers were sort of in a panic because every state wanted publisher files to use in creating Braille and other accessible material, but every state had its own specific type of file they wanted, their own requirements, and the publishers threw up their hands and said, gosh, can't you guys just decide on one format that'll work for everybody. So a project was started, which was a um, collaboration of publishers and people like APH and, um, and others who deal with accessible media to try to come up with a file format that everyone could use. And they came up with something called NIMAS, which stands for National Instructional Materials Access, I guess the SS system, but it's it's a special file format, and it contains a lot of markup that, that makes it easier to produce accessible material. When you look in one of these files, it's easy to tell what is a list and what is a heading and where the images are and, and things such as sidebars and footnotes and page numbers and so on. Mm-hmm. So, All this rich information is in there, and that's exactly the information that helps determine how a book should be formatted in Braille. So in 2012, a group of us at APH um, were trying to come up with a way to take more advantage of these files and that's where the the Braille Blaster project really was born. Um, the idea that 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 we believed that if we had the right software, we could use that markup to make it much easier to produce high quality Braille books. That was how that came to be.
2: Mm-hmm. It's all part of a. Uh A bigger initiative that APH has going called REAL, uh, Resources for Enhanced Learning Accessibility. And um, in addition to, you know, all this nice markup that originally was begun by the DAISY Consortium, by the way, uh, Mm -hmm. and has actually involved from DAISY format, NIMAS is a, a sort of a subset of that, and has moved on to be a Mainstream file format known as EPUB now. Oh, um, but okay. these files not only contain all this structure that Keith was describing, but a big part of it too is that it also can contain uh, structured mathematical content. And that is a, a big part of this. Oh,
0: yes. So I can uh, see. the
2: real plan is. Um, just one part of uh, our Braille Blaster is just one part of this initiative called REAL that APH has been embarking upon to ensure that blind students get the same opportunities in education as their sighted peers do.
0: Okay. I can see where the math uh, is very important, because math was a part of my education. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, and you
1: know, um, recently um, there's been a, a, a lot of interest and, in, in fact, adoption by the Braille Authority in North America of UEB, which is Unified English Braille. Yes. Um, in the past, we've used something called English Braille American Edition. And now, um, still dates and I guess even individual textbook purchasers can decide if they want their Braille in the newer format, UEB, or if they want the older Braille code, which we call eBay, um, English <laughs> Braille American Edition. And And so it's important to be able to, to produce a textbook in either um, Braille system. And in addition to that, there's a couple of different choices for representing technical material like math. Um, one is called Nemeth, which most Braille readers these days that have ever studied math at all are familiar with that. But UEB has its own way yes. to represent math and technical material. And what Larry's talking about is if, if the book contains the right kind of structured markup, it's very easy to take that and produce either UEB or Nemeth math and if, if you need to produce a textbook in both eBay and UEB, you can start with the same structured file and, and fairly quickly and easily produce both Braille formats. So it adds some flexibility. Whereas in the past, it really would have been a matter of, of starting from scratch almost um, to take a book that you had already done in eBay and do it in UEB. Mm. Uh, so uh, that makes that much easier.
2: And the other, the other half of the equation is Not only does this software um, take advantage of all this structure, but it contains a whole palette of tools that transcribers can use to add things like image descriptions, break up into volumes, uh, transcriber's notes, special symbols, just a whole toolbox of easy to use and automatic ways of um, making the whole process go uh, much more quickly. In fact, we found a significant increase in the productivity of transcribers that are making textbooks.
0: Wow, that is fabulous! I know personally, my very little use of it just it. it I just picture you know the whole blasting out Braille because it just works so quickly and gets it right out. You know, it's amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah, great name for it. Huh? Yes. <laughs>
1: And the other thing, another thing that I think is important is that APH is, is providing Braille Blaster as a free download, which means that anybody who wants to use it can get it and use it, which we think is really important because our goal is to get more Braille into the hands of more people that need it. And, and the investment APH has made in this is, is just one of the things that we're doing to try to get more Braille to more people as quickly and easily as possible. So, this piece of software is not just for professional Braille transcribers, it's for anybody that wants to create good Braille.
2: Wow. Yeah, whether you're a church organization or a parent or a user like you, Jason.
0: <laughs> yes, that's. I, I can't applaud you enough for that. I mean, I one of the things that comes to mind for me is that you know a sighted person if they want to print something doesn't think anything of it oh let's hit the print button get a piece of paper out of the printer and hey it says what i wanted to print and i have long wanted that ability this is one way of of being able to do that quite easily i must say i can just bring a document into braille blaster and print it out
2: absolutely
0: one of the questions i have is that at least for users like me who maybe using it for personal matters or wanting to get material out in formats um, or from formats other than NYmus. Um, I know that, like, for example, Microsoft Word and even like rich text format or HTML contain a considerable amount of markup that would help um, the the program figure out exactly what to do for transcribing the text, um, are those kinds of formats uh, going to be supported at some point?
1: Yes. It's a work in progress, but but yes, we definitely plan to support really as many different file types as, as we can, certainly things like Word and HTML, um, you know, those are high on the list. EPUB, mm-hmm. um, is a PDF if possible, as, as many as we can. And there, there's also some tools that can be used currently to sort of smooth out the process, um, and we're going to try to make use of those as well. Things like Pandoc, for instance, we're hoping to, to be able to make use of that so that people can, can convert and put their content into BrailleBlaster more easily. Uh, currently, uh, we only really support text and NIMAS, NIMAS because it's so important to what APH does, Yes, and other professional transcribers, and of course text just to provide a way for People who are working with scan text or casual users, a way for them to get their content into Braille Blaster. And you can cut and paste from yes. programs like Word, but of course you lose, you know, you lose the formatting. You have to go through and reformat it. Luckily with Braille Blaster, the tools to do that are pretty quick and easy to use.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but we we definitely want to natively support um, file types such as Word.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I know sometimes, depending on the application, or there could be some other things that, not being a programmer, I'm not aware of, but when you cut and paste, sometimes the formatting's preserved, but I don't know how that works exactly. You know how, like, sometimes you paste, and, and sometimes you don't want the formatting, and you get it anyway, and sometimes you uh, <laughs> really do want the formatting, and you don't get it, so...
1: <laughs> yes, well, it, it yes, it's complicated, But
3: mm-hmm.
1: but you're right. Sometimes... You know, you get nice formatting. For instance, if you were to cut and paste from a web page into an email, you were doing an Outlook. You know, it would preserve most yeah. of the formatting. Um, so that that's something that requires a lot of stuff under the hood, um, and and something that we'll definitely be looking at as we move along here. We're we're nowhere near done with Braille Blaster. We think we've got a good solid product to start with. And we have many more plans for the next year or two um, for Braille Blaster to help make it uh, better and more flexible.
2: One other part of the equation is um, not, not just supporting NIMAS and uh, all these tools, but we also support the new Braille Authority of North America Formats 2016, huh. which is… Uh, A revision of textbook formats to streamline the the uh, way that a student can get to the vital information in a braille book.
0: Great. I do remember hearing some vague notions. Um, At least people were made aware that UEB would become the standard. um, I think it was after two thousand sixteen, or after a certain Mm -hmm. date. Right. And so January fourth. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Ah, yes. Okay. Louis yeah, I know that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, Keith, you were mentioning that there are still books in the eBay and UEB format sometime, or is that like legacy support?
1: Well, it's it's legacy support, but what they've done, I guess, is a compromise, is they, they allow, um, and I guess it's on a state by state basis. I'm not totally sure about that, but they they can request books in eBay. And I, I think it's because, well, all right, let's, let's say you're a, a high school student and you've been reading eBay for the last 12 years or so, and now you're suddenly asked to switch and use something different. It's, it's really bad timing. So that student might say, well, I want my books in eBay, or I want I want my books in UEB, but I want the math to still be Nemeth. Um, mm-hmm. And so they've allowed people the flexibility to request books in either format. So the way APH is working is is we provide UEB, um, but if someone specifically requests a book in eBay, um, it can be provided to them in that format. Okay. So UEB is the standard. And that's what we think people are going to use most of the time. But there still is the possibility that someone's going to want a book that's in eBay. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, well, I, I personally have felt that um, adapting to reading UEB hasn't been so difficult. It's when it comes time to write that. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> <And> I gotta.
1: <laughs> yeah, and professional yeah. transcribers are feeling that pain too. Believe mm-hmm. that. So I was talking to somebody, you know, for for a braille reader, it's not such a big change, but for a transcriber who's got to know all the rules and it has to be correct, you know, it, it's a lot. It's a lot more involved, and it was a much bigger transition. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's much more of a burden on the people writing
2: the Braille than the people reading it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, on the on the other hand, um, when it comes to writing Braille on electronic devices, UEB is a real boon. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you remember what you had to do to write an email address or a URL for a web page with uh, eBay? And, oh yes. and the same thing even with simple things like simple mathematical expressions. There, there really wasn't even a plus sign in in the old Braille. That's <laughs> you had to right. write out plus, <laughs> and that that didn't work well when you were trying to use it with uh, your iPhone or on some calculator or something. Uh, so, there's a lot of advantages, especially on the writing side, for um, the electronic Braille users.
0: Yes, and even something as minor as being able to distinguish the left parenthesis from the right parenthesis Mm -hmm. um, is is quite nice.
2: And Um, the brackets and braces for programming, uh, very nice.
0: Mm -hmm. And I don't know what they've done. I I know we see a lot of these emoji characters lately, and I I think something has been done so that um, you can... I don't believe there are special characters, but you see the description written out in braille. I think is what is.
1: Yeah, and, and transcribers who do textbooks and things run into that a lot in books because, for instance, you might have, I don't know, a little arrowhead being used as bullets in a in a textbook or something, um, and and what a transcriber has to do is define a special braille symbol for that icon, and. One of the coolest tools that BrailleBlaster has is a really nice way that it goes through the whole book and identifies those special symbols. And if it's an image, it lets the transcriber go to an image describer tool and assign a symbol to that particular image. And once they've done that, it replaces that image everywhere in the book with that special symbol. So it makes it really quick and easy to take care of those kinds of things.
0: Very nice. Um,
1: you know that in today's textbooks appear all the time because you know they're all done to be made attractive and hold the interest of students that maybe don't have a real long attention span, and mm-hmm. so that they're very decorative and very interesting and visually. So it creates challenges for transcribers.
2: I bet. Yeah. And, and Braille Blaster, um, when it comes to actually splitting up the volumes, it automatically puts those symbols in the uh, what they call the T pages and the P pages, which are initial pages in every volume that uh, enumerate what the special symbols are in that volume.
0: Ah, okay. That takes a lot of the thinking out of it, then. You just do your simple replacements and it creates the page for you.
1: Well, you know, it's it's not really so much that it takes the thinking out of it, it takes the tedium
0: out of it. Because, oh, yes, okay. <laughs>
1: you, you know, this, this is something that transcribers have to do a lot. And if you can imagine having to go through a whole book and with every volume, you have to hand edit a special symbols list for that volume. And then if you change something, you've got to go back and change all of those different places in the book. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just tedious, time-consuming work that's not fun, not creative. <laughs> you know, uh, transcribers are very creative and they, they like to do the kind of creative work that they're really trained to do. And when you have to go through and do something a thousand times in a single textbook just because something changed... Um, it, it can be a very tedious, time consuming um, task and not a fun task. So, you know, what we hope is that Braille Blaster not only makes it quicker and easier to create Braille textbooks, we, we hope it'll actually be a more pleasant experience for, for transcribers than the way they do things currently.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and a more profitable one for transcribers. Don't, uh, don't think for a minute that this is uh, going to replace transcribers. This is to help transcribers meet the, the demand of all the Braille books that are needed. And uh, we are nowhere near having enough transcribers in this country to be able to meet the demand. And we think this software will uh, contribute greatly to that situation.
0: Wow, well, it certainly is affordable, and I imagine that in itself alone will help uh, attract or engage uh, either those who want to be transcribers or those who are already, who are you know, just gotten started and trying to figure out what they want to use.
1: Well, you know, and, and Jane Thompson, um, APH's Director of Accessible Textbooks and Accessible Testing, pointed out recently that, you know, there are quite a few... Um, Programs in prisons around the country that have groups that do braille transcription,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and okay, so once they get out of prison, um, they don't usually have a lot of money, you know, to go out and buy a computer system and spend hundreds of dollars on braille transcription software. with With Braille Blaster, as long as they can have access to a computer, they've got a they've got an immediate chance to. To earn a living, because they've got all the training, they're a certified transcriber, and, and APH contracts with freelance transcribers all over the country. So and hundreds th- of them. So wow. the, these folks, these folks, you know, once they've been in this prison braille transcription program, they get out of prison. They've they've got a marketable skill if they can afford, you know, the equipment and the software. And Braille Blaster helps a lot um, to make
0: that happen. Absolutely. Now, one thing I'm thinking of when we talk about uh, the affordability of Braille Blaster is the fact that um, it uses open source software to do the translation. Uh, how did that come about?
1: Uh, well, uh, quite honestly, it's because LibLouis is, is the best um, Braille translation library. Um, that is open source. It it might be the best period, um, and it really didn't make sense for us to use anything else. Um, mm-hmm. And also, John Boyer, who actually is the primary creator of Liblouis, um, also began some work on a very early version of Rail Blaster. So, oh wow, he was kind of he was kind of in on this in the very beginning. Now, since then, he's he's sort of dropped out. Um, John is in his eighties, and um, you know, so he's sort of he's semi-retired. But he he is the person who created LibLoui to begin with. He is a genius uh, when it comes to um, programming and coding. Um, he's a very smart man, yeah. and it really made no sense for us to use anything else,
2: to be honest. Mm-hmm. John uh, Boyer uh, from AbilitySoft Soft and John Gardner from ViewPlus. Had um, started this early on, and APh um, really took it over. And you know, we had a they had a a fantastic idea and a good framework, and we took it and put uh, a lot of money and a lot of time and effort into it, and turned it into a, a finished product.
0: Wow. And I understand you had a beta process so that um, people could help test it and give you that feedback you needed.
1: We, we have had that. Yep, it was in beta for a year. And we still want people to uh, install our betas and test them. And even people using the stable version, we want feedback from them. So the, the testing and feedback, we hope, Will never end. We, we hope that people will continue to use it, but also continue to let us know how we can make it better. Whether it be a feature request or a bug or anything else that they find.
2: You know, and another um, aspect of this is, you know, we we make it very easy for people to provide feedback, but we also make it available on multiple platforms. Yes. So, in addition to Windows, there's a Mac version and a Linux version as well.
0: That is fabulous. I have a Mac, so I was thrilled to discover that this was available because um, now I don't have to go to a Windows machine if I don't want to or don't have it around, and I can just do it right on the Mac. And the accessibility is there, and um, it's fabulous.
2: Yeah, every everything APH writes is uh, is not only accessible to the to the to the max, but it's also very usable. Um, there's no twisting and turning to try to get things done. We 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 try to use universal design concepts and uh, make this as efficient for everyone.
0: You mentioned Pandoc. Uh, briefly, And I remember what that is, but maybe uh, you wouldn't mind refreshing listeners' memory or any new listeners on what that is.
2: You know, just as a, uh, an aside, uh, here about a year ago, we wrote a, um, a shortcut for Windows so that you can point to a file and right-click and hit Send To and then Braille. And all it really is is just an interface to um, um, make it usable in Windows. But under the hood, what it's using is Pandoc in LibLui. And what Pandoc is, is an extensive library to convert files from one format to another. So what happens, even though it looks really simple to the user, by just clicking on Send to Braille, Pandoc takes uh, determines what the input file form what the input file is, uh, translates it into um, an intermediate file format that LibLoui can understand, and then LibLoui translates it and saves it out to the uh, disk with the same name of the file with the, as a BRL, um, an unformatted Braille file, so that then you can take it into an editor. So okay. to answer your question, what Pandoc is, is a, uh, and if you ever get a chance, uh, check it out on the web, it's P-A-N-D-O-C. It's a very nice way to convert almost any file into any other file type, including EPUB and EPUB 3, uh, so good good wow. stuff. We're, we're not actually using that in uh, Braille Blaster yet, but that's that's part of the plans to take advantage of some of those resources.
0: Oh, okay. Well, and it certainly um, you talked about unformatted, so I'm thinking for electronic Braille, uh, PANDOC is a mm-hmm. quick way to f- get something in Braille from another format.
2: Yeah, we mainly did it for the uh, Orbit Reader 20 so that you could uh, quickly and easily get a, a translated, contracted Braille file in UEB or, or whatever uh flavor you you desire onto uh, that device okay so it's not nearly as uh, it doesn't nearly have the flexibility that Braille blaster does in terms of formatting and splitting into volumes and embossing and so forth but it's a great way to get a quick and dirty translation if you just need to send a a memo or an agenda or, or what have you to your you Braille want,
1: Yeah, Or if you just want to take your own notes and stick them on the Orbit Reader 20, you know, it's, it's a quick, easy way to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hope as many people as can will download it and use it and work with it and give us feedback if they have anything they want to um, request or anything they want to say, any kind of comments or anything. hmm And one thing about APH, um, you you might have doubts about some companies, particularly large companies, but um, when you speak to APH, when you send an email or you provide feedback, um, there is a person at APH who is paying close attention to that, sometimes more than one. But, you know, you can bet that that your message is getting
2: through um, to the people at APH. Mm. And for 160 years, our focus has been the education of blind students, and uh, we hope it'll be for another 160 and beyond. And you know, this is a new this is a new age. It's not uh, it's not the same APH as it was back in 1858. Um, we. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of evolution from actually the introduction and adoption of Braille itself to now these kinds of tools that make it so much more efficient to be able to get educational materials into these students' hands.
1: Yeah, you know, Larry, 160 years ago when EPH started, Braille was not even in common use at the time. Um, it was fairly new, and <laughs> not a lot of people used it or even knew about it. Um, APH began producing embossed books, just letters embossed on the page. Uh, That was the early books that they produced.
2: And, and the, uh, you know, sort of the same, uh, forces were at play back then as they are now where, um, producing, uh, specialized materials like this is not something that just anybody can do. So, uh, you know, a group of individuals and states got together and said, well, instead of each school trying to emboss their own textbooks, let's set up a centralized place where all the schools can use this.
3: Uh-huh.
2: And uh, we have evolved rapidly over the years from the introduction of the first uh, trans- computer-translated um Software in the 1960s to now, you know, introducing things like this software and uh, tools like the Orbit Reader 20 and the Graffiti yes. to uh, be able to cover our, um, our our students through this rapidly evolving uh, time of education. One thing that a lot of people uh, wonder about when we talk about Braille Blaster is is the roadmap. You know, what's next? And uh, it's really fun. That's my favorite part (laughs) of talking (laughs) about this kind of thing. And uh, one of the most exciting things that – this this isn't in here today, but, um, you know, we're making uh, initial forays into directly supporting graphics in these electronic files So right now, you know, BRF is really, if you open it up in a text editor, you'll see it's really just uh, ASCII Braille. Mm -hmm. But one of the uh, things that the BrailleBlaster team is working on right now is a new file format that will actually include resources such as uh, graphics that are available either from places like APH's Tactile Graphics Image Library, which is, by the way, uh, available for free to any educator or student to um, get simplified images of common educational concepts like, you know, maps of the United States or the circulatory system or what have you. Mm. And <clears throat> to be able to get these into an electronic format so that. Um, you know, as we start moving away from embossed Braille, uh, although that embossed Braille is going to be here for a long, long time, but some students will prefer and uh, some, some schools will prefer to use electronic formats. And with the combination of this uh, file format that includes graphics and tools like the Orbit Reader 20 or any refreshable Braille display, and the graffiti, which is a refreshable tactile graphics display, um, we can present those textbooks in a way that uh, gives that student a, a complete picture of, um, of, of that experience.
0: That is fabulous. Now, you were talking websites, and I don't think we've mentioned any yet, so <laughs> we ought to give listeners a way to get their hands on Braille Blaster or learn more about it. Where do they go for that?
1: brailleblaster.org.
0: Wow, that's pretty difficult. I don't know if I could remember that.
1: <laughs> Great. Um, yes, if you if you go to brailleblaster.org, there's download links, there's documentation, there's uh, training materials, uh, all, all kinds of resources, uh, including a really cool application called Braille Zephyr. We I saw really that. We haven't really talked about that. But, but Braille Zephyr is, is essentially a, a braille simple braille editing program that acts pretty much like a braille writer. It doesn't do any translation, um, but it's, it's proven to be useful and it's actually certified for use for um, people who want to get their national library service NLS transcriber certification. They can use that for their evaluation
3: wow.
1: and testing. Um, and so it, it, it's pretty cool and it's there too. And it's free. Um, mm-hmm. And just, uh, I would just invite people to go and just look at it. There's, there's lots of stuff there. There's also links you can use to to get in contact with
2: us. Okay. Another uh, website that might be of interest to um, your listeners is um, the Tactile Graphics Image Library, which is at aph.org/tgil. Hmm. And if you have uh, an embosser or a graffiti, (laughs) which not too many people have graffitis yet, but Mm -hmm. you can download. uh, Well, since
1: only about six of them exist.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But you can uh, download those and directly uh, emboss uh, graphics. Wow. Another another good website is, um, and and if you want more information on graffiti, that's it. APH.org slash graffiti, which is G-R-A-P-H-I-T-I. Okay. So, it's kind of a cute variation on uh, graffiti.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and then the uh, the send to Braille link is actually at um, tech.aph.org slash L-T for Louis Translate. Lou Translate. Ah. Uh, what's uh, Are we missing any websites we need to mention, Keith? Probably. Probably, (laughs) probably, (laughs) but that should at least be a good start. Mm
0: -hmm. The orbit reader, I know a lot of people are really clamoring to know more about it or get one uh, personally, and I don't know, uh, what is the availability of the uh, orbit reader at this point?
2: Scarce. Uh, Okay, (laughs) okay. It's uh, well let me, let me just talk about the orbit reader a little bit, just in case Please. your uh, listeners don't know about it yet. Um, mm-hmm. This is a, a, a really new concept in refreshable braille in that it's probably the first refreshable braille display that we as individual blind people can' afford to buy ourselves. It's sell, it sells for $449, and it's a 20-cell, 8-dot um, Braille display with local and remote functionality on it. So it, it has an SD card. You can hold up to 32 gigs of material, and that's a lot of Braille, oh, let me tell yeah. you. Oh, yeah. And um, it has an editor built into it. So on the local side, you—it's uh, got a, a reader, so you can you know read your NLS books in it. Uh, it's got a file manager, and it's got an editor. And then on the remote side, it connects via uh, USB or Bluetooth to any. Um, device, computer, or mobile device that um, supports a a screen reader that supports Braille. So, of course, iOS, Android, uh, anything on the PC, the Mac, uh, any screen reader that supports Braille. Hmm. And you can switch between the local and the remote uh, quite easily.
0: Oh, nice.
2: Um, It's very – I've been using one now for – Oh, gosh, I guess about a year now, and I cannot imagine my life without this great writing tool. I I really didn't think the writing was going to be the most uh, uh, effective thing or the most appealing thing to me, but it's such a freedom to be able to, you know, it's another thing like you talked about earlier, Jason. Sighted people don't think a thing about taking notes, but... Mm To be able to write uh, silently and be able to edit them. And um, it, it's really interesting because there, there is no translator on the device itself. So it's very analogous to using a Braille writer. You, what you write is what you get. Mm-hmm. So you can write in uh, contracted or uncontracted or even 8-dot Braille. Or you can make up your own codes um, and or let's say you're trying to learn a musical
1: part, you could actually write the music Braille code in there.
2: Uh, oh, yeah.
0: It, it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if you're like me, you, you, know, you the, invent code, uh, because I don't uh, actually right, know that no only Braille only you music.
2: understand. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and only he needs
1: to understand.
2: <laughs> now, let me caution you, though. Like with a Braille writer, you know, if you write in your own code, you're going to be the only one that can read that. That's, that's right. It could a positive <laughs> or a negative. And that's <laughs> Which fine. Might, yeah,
1: it could be a good thing. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> but,
1: you know, the coolest thing, I think, is, you know, I've I've had some experience with a lot of note-takers over the years. And I, I, before the Orbit Reader 20 came out, I think I was talking to, to Larry and a, f- a few other people. I said, you know, I kind of miss the Braille and speak. Because um, the Braille and Speak, you've flipped it on and you're ready to start writing. Yes, And the Orbit Reader 20 is like that. If you've, if you've got a notes file and you've got that file open and you've turned it off, all you have to do is just turn it on and you're right
2: there, ready to start writing. Except um, not, with speech, it's with all Braille, which is it's all Braille.
1: cooler. Mm. Yeah, but it, it's that quick availability because um, you know, who wants to say, Oh, can you write down this? And I go, Oh, well, yeah, give me a minute, you know, and then 30, 40, 50 seconds later, I'm finally ready to write something. With this, you turn it on two or three seconds, you're ready to write.
2: Oh, which that's think.
0: wonderful. And,
2: and I think your uh, your original question, though, was about the availability, and that's what that's the big question. So, you know, uh, with with a new technology like this, there are, um, Uh, That's quite a process to get it from a prototype into a production. And after the prototypes, um, there's actually been several revisions in the production uh, units to um, make production easier, more reliable, uh, make the... uh, you know, make the battery life better. And, and that's another thing we didn't even mention. This this is the kind of device that you can use for a week at a time without recharging. I, I think officially wow. it's its official sort of specs are to to give you a full day's use. But um, I use it daily, all day, for a week at a time. I charge it on Sunday night before I go back to
3: work. That's amazing. <laughs> but
2: uh, the... Um, the availability is so as you know we um, we're, we're, they're starting to uh, dribble in we uh, sold I believe 30 of them at the ACB convention and 30 at the NFB convention and uh, have some more in stock right now we are we're waiting to put them uh, on general availability until we get a more steady flow of them we, we, we don't want to uh, you know get this situation where there's, you know, thousands of back orders it, it mm-hmm. doesn't help anybody it it just causes a lot of uh, frustration but um i i can say that just hold on um i'm not going to give any times here because uh, i don't want to be wrong again <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it will be very soon and um, I, th- I think you'll see that it's worth the wait. that the manufacturer Orbit Research is, uh, as APH is, wants to ensure that this is right and that it's going to work for everyone.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, the Orbit Reader was actually part of a, um, a project with the Transforming Braille Group, which which was a consortium of uh, eleven uh, blindness real. Um, uh, oriented organizations around the world, and part of the impetus for its development was to be able to um, get it into developing countries where actually they they've they've skipped whole generations of uh, you know like phone services. They 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 never had landlines. They went straight to the the um, smartphones, and they may be using a you know, a $30 Android phone, but that's enough to be able to get them access to, um, you know, mountains of Braille material uh, electronically. And, and of course, you know, the the whole idea of being able to ship large amounts of, of Braille volumes into um, places where transportation may not be the best and, and shipping costs are really high, so, um, you know, the idea of getting one of these there and letting them either get their texts electronically or supplying it to them on SD cards is, is really appealing, especially for those countries. And we found, too, that, um, you know, we, we know that we're seeing three-, three and four-year-old sighted children using iPads and that's a that's a vital part of education and blind children don't get that same opportunity to experience uh, a reading in, in in as early and when you have a device that's a few hundred dollars rather than a few thousand yes there's a much greater chance that a parent or grandparent can get it for a child and not have to worry so much about them accidentally dropping it or drooling in it Mm
3: -hmm.
2: um and and the durability is there too um you know as we mentioned it's designed to go into these developing countries so it's got good um what we call ingress protection from moisture and dust and uh magnificent Braille I don't know if you've seen it yet Jason I saw it the...
0: briefly at convention yes
2: uh, yeah what'd you think about the braille
0: oh well, I thought it was amazing and of course there are lots of people clambering uh, around me to get a hold of it too so I didn't get too long but the braille <laughs> <All right. laughs> the Braille felt um, it felt like signage braille it just felt very exactly. strong.
2: yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah you can't push it down yep and, and and you know we know that you're not supposed to push hard to read braille anyway, but there are no. people with neuropathy issues or new learners that want to want to touch it all over. <laughs> oh yeah.
0: Well, you know you get old, you know hard copy braille, and sometimes it is pushed down a little bit. And I I like the crisp braille feel like from a freshly embossed document or you know from a braille display, and and the mm-hmm. Orbit Reader certainly satisfies that in me. <laughs>
2: And it's such a, you know, I don't think people that aren't familiar with blindness and braille realize how important braille is to literacy. Oh, absolutely. It's one thing to, uh, you know, it's one thing to listen to something, it's a whole other thing to read it. And, yes. And know how the punctuation and the spelling and mm-hmm.
0: um, all formatting of and all of that, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we had Judy Dixon on uh, a few weeks ago, and we were talking about that very same thing, except most of that episode had to do with writing Braille on slate and stylus, because at the time, I had an incident where I didn't want to have to grab a note taker and, and turn it on and find where I needed to write, and I didn't want to have to take this piece of information to the, Um. in this case, I was shipping something, didn't want to take a Uh, braille note taker with me or take my phone and open the notes and get to the note i just wanted a nice little piece of paper to write with and i didn't want to take out the perkins Braille either so it turned into (laughs) a big slate and stylus discussion
2: (laughs) (laughs) nothing like the good old slate and stylus
0: yep kind of like a pen and paper for a sighted person it is Uh, a little slower in my case because i need to practice but
1: (laughs) (laughs) i remember um I remember back when I was in college, and I wasn't blind at the time. Um, but there was a, a young woman in one of my classes who was blind, and in a music history class, she was taking her notes with a slate and stylus. And,
2: wow! Um, so the way it was, I did mine
1: in it was, college. Um, it was amazing. It it sounded like a I don't know. It, it sounded like somebody actually clacking on a typewriter, but but it, but it was it was her writing with that slate and stylus. She was fast. Yes, I was amazed.
0: I've heard some fast um, writers as well, and it it kind of blows my mind. How are you doing that? It's like almost like the dots are coming out at this almost the same time. How, you know, how is that possible?
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and that's I, a I case can... where you really do make up your own uh, shortcuts. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes,
0: <laughs> Man, true that. I
1: think that's I think that's how great Braille was invented. You know, there is actually a shorthand
0: Braille.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh huh.
0: Before I forget, um, do you want to describe the graffiti a little bit for those who haven't seen it?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I would encourage people to go to that graffiti page because one of the things we did during the eclipse was have a, uh, an event on the front lawn of APH where our blind um, employees and students from the school next door, the Kentucky School for the Blind, were able to participate in the eclipse viewing. Wow! And what we did was set up a camera into a PC and just took a picture every um, 30 seconds. And uh, you could watch the moon coming over the sun. And uh, so what it is, is a grid of 2,400 pins, 60 by 40, that each can have up to four different heights plus all the way down. And you can um, either view images from an SD card that uh, are stored or connected to a PC or, or Bluetooth and, um, and uh, load images. Uh, so, you know, in fact, the other day, uh, well, it's been a month ago now, there was a video about how big... Uh, Hurricane Harvey was where it was taken up on almost the whole gulf mm. and I paused the video and hit uh, Windows print screen to send it to uh, to take a screenshot of it and flipped over to the uh, graffiti software and looked at it on there and you know it, it's been such an eye opener to be able to do that and, and the, this wow. recent um, Kasimi uh, images of the uh, new views of the rings around Saturn. Um, I, I've been using it a lot too for some of the software that we're developing to look at the way it's formatted, to what to, the, to the program is formatted on it. But so one of the things this graffiti will have is a HDMI input, so it can actually act as a monitor for any uh, PC or any kind of device that's got HDMI out, which includes things like cameras, microscopes, telescopes, uh, just anything that's got an HDMI uh, connection on it. So instead of plugging in a screen into it, you plug in this tactile screen. Hmm. And um, we have been having uh, lots of interest from... The testing um, agencies, as well as schools and other places that want to provide accessibility to blind students, it's really interesting too, Jason. That um, you know, we as as blind citizens have never had the opportunity to be able to manipulate images, like um, zoom in on them, or or scroll through different parts of them or get different perspectives on something. And yes. so we see this as a, uh, a real opportunity for some research and, and learning, both from the student's perspective and ours, to find the best ways to kind of present this material and uh, watch to see the best ways this can develop. So, yeah, that's the graffiti. Uh, aph.org slash graffiti. G R A P H I T I.
0: Okay. So, when you had it set up on the, on the lawn of APH, I imagine it it can't take a video feed because the frames are changing so quickly. Was it just like photo by photo by photo kind of thing? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, we were doing a photo every 30 seconds. Wow. How oh, cool. And here, you know, I was just showing it to somebody today. That, that's who was in my office when you came in there today, Keith. It's so funny because... Um, you know, the, the earth is turning, of course, so as you take an image every 30 seconds, it gradually moves from one edge of the frame to the other. And the oh, guy yeah. that was taking the images was uh, really one of, one of the many geniuses we have at APH. He actually set up a little mini sundial on his camera. So he had this needle that was about a foot long on a wooden platform, and he would watch the shadow, he, he would set it so there was no shadow, and then when the shadow got to a certain point, he would reposition the camera. So you watch <laughs> the sun going from one edge of the screen to the other and gradually see part of the moon covering it, and then it jumps back to the left side as he repositions the camera. And you watch this progression through the whole two-hour period while the moon went uh, over and covered the sun, and started to move away from it. Amazing stuff. Real history in the making there.
0: Wow. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you both very much for being with me on this episode of Main Menu. I think we've covered a lot of great material, and uh, I appreciate your time.
2: You're
1: quite welcome. It was a pleasure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you. You're very welcome. Main Menu is a program brought to you by the American Council of the Blind and ACB Radio. It airs every Friday evening on ACB Radio Mainstream beginning at 9 p.m. Eastern and repeating every four hours until 5 p.m. the following day. You can listen by pointing your browser to acbradio.org slash mainstream, grab it as a podcast, use ACB Link for iOS, or call 605- four seven five eight one three zero at airtime. If you have comments or suggestions, or have a demo of your own you'd like to submit for review, email mainmenu at acbradio.org. You can reach us on Twitter at mainmenu. Thanks so much for listening and we'll be back next time.